Hi, this is Nikki Belmonte, Executive Director of the American Birding Association. I want to thank all of you who have supported this year's nesting season appeal. If you haven't had a chance to support our campaign, I'm asking you for your support now. Visit us online at aba.org appeal or call us at 800-850-2473. Our work is made possible by the generosity of donors like you. Thanks and enjoy this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick. We at the ABA have been fielding a lot of questions about avian flu in the last few months. And for the most part, we've been sending people to the Cornell Lab of Ornithology's excellent suggestions that they posted on the Living Bird website. I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you're curious. In short, you probably don't need to do anything too different unless you keep chickens in your yard, farm, I don't know, secretly in your apartment, whatever, no judging here. Uh, Avian flu is primarily passed by birds in very close proximity to each other. And murmurations aside, that is not a thing that you need to worry about for songbirds and other feeder visitors. And so I guess because of this, I was somewhat naive, I suppose, of what this means for birds that were not songbirds or feeder visitors, Uh, maybe birds that I imagine live in places where they are unlikely to encounter avian flu, say seabirds. So I was removed of this guileless existence by two independent reports of wild birds that have been hit rather hard by the recent bird flu epidemic. I came across on my bird-heavy Twitter feed a post from a UK birder noting that the Bass Rock Northern Gannet Colony had been decimated, perhaps even using the actual legitimate definition of the word, this summer by avian flu. Bass Rock, for those perhaps unfamiliar, is the largest northern gannet colony in the world. It's in the Firth of Forth, south of Edinburgh, Scotland, and it's home to approximately 150,000 nesting northern gannets all crammed together on this big granite outcropping with these sheer cliffs all around. It's very dramatic. I've actually been there, luckily enough, not quite three decades ago, uh, but it was such an impactful experience for a young birder. And from a distance, uh, the birds look like snow on top of this mountain. But you get closer, and we did. Uh, we took a boat out around the island, and you see all the gannets and murs and shags and fulmars and all sorts of all sorts of cool stuff. That's That's typical. That's a normal year. Uh, But gannets nest kind of cheek to cheek or bill to tail. Uh, And so many birds sitting in close proximity on eggs. Well, as you might expect, that is a a perfect environment for a virus to spread. And it did. The photos from 2022 compared to previous years are legitimately shocking. The density is about a quarter of what it feels like it should be. Uh, So I started thinking uh, this can't be the only colony where this is happening. Uh, And Google took me to a similar situation occurring in northern gannet colonies in the Gulf of St. Lawrence, in particular ones on Prince Edward Island. There are no images of the colonies associated with this report, at least not that I can find. Only dead birds salvaged from beaches testing positive for flu, uh, which is also what's happening in Scotland. So it's reasonable to believe that something similar is occurring on northern gannet colonies in Atlantic Canada. Who knows if if it is as drastic. Uh, Perhaps someone more in the know out there uh, can fill me in. It's 
it's frustrating news for sure. I'm not trying to bum anyone out. It is hard to know exactly what this means for northern gannets at these sites. Perhaps they rebound. Perhaps they don't. I'd say all eventualities are sort of on the table. But this is probably the more evident example thus far of whether avian flu is having a real impact on wild birds. I'd, I'd say it is. And I think it's very clear that at least you all need to immediately remove your northern gannet feeders from your feeding station. I'm sorry, that was an attempt to end a somewhat darker story on a lighter note. I am not certain if it worked. It felt it felt a little weird. Um, anyway, on to the show. You, you may have heard that I am part of an ABA contingent heading to Panama this summer. You may have heard on this podcast. I've mentioned it a couple times. Uh, spots are still available. I hope you can find a way to join us. Along those lines, I want to introduce you to one of our friends in Panama, the incomparable Carlos Betancourt of the Canopy Tower family of lodges, to talk about his own bird journey, and what makes birding Panama so special. Consider this the hard sell. Uh, and even if you can't make it, I hope you enjoy it anyway. All that after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the third week of June 2022. A few really wild records to talk about this week. We start in Arizona, where an orange-billed nightingale thrush was discovered visiting a feeding station in Cochise County in the southeast of the state. This is an Arizona first record of this smart-looking catharist thrush. They are widespread throughout Central America with 11 named subspecies spread from northern Mexico to northern South America. It has occurred in the ABA area about five times with records in Texas and New Mexico, which are somewhat expected, and one from South Dakota back in 2010, which was absolutely not. Speaking of completely unexpected records from Texas, this week came photos of a wedge-tailed shearwater in Calhoun County amongst a colony of breeding waterbirds. This is a Texas first and the third record of the South Pacific species in the Atlantic Ocean following birds photographed in North Carolina and Florida last summer. That Florida record was a bird on the Gulf Coast, which seemed at the time very unusual, and one wonders if it wasn't this bird now caught in the Gulf of Mexico and making do as best as it can. But the most bonkers potential first of the year comes from Minnesota, where a pair of A-Bear's towhees were seen at a private residence in Grand Rapids. How a pair of more or less completely sedentary desert species ended up in the middle of the continent is as yet an open question. And that inclination to stay put is definitely noteworthy. A-Bear's towhee have nested for years five blocks from the border of San Diego County, and yet there are still no records for San Diego County. There is speculation that the pair was investigating a trailer or an RV, and they got inadvertently captured and inadvertently carried to Minnesota. There's a lot of human migration, uh, retired human migration between those two areas, and there are accounts of this sort of thing happening with the closely related Canyon Tohee. These birds are very curious. On the other hand, there are legitimate records of seemingly sedentary southwestern species like Pearloxia and Woodhouse's scrub jay in the Midwest already, though those species are more inclined to wander, at least locally, than a bear's towhee. A right, lot to unpack here. It is a mystery. Other firsts of note, just real quick, a wood stork in New Harbor, Nova Scotia is a provincial first record. While we have had recent records of wood storks moving north in previous years, this is the farthest outlier by far for 2022. And up to Yukon, where a male thick-billed longspur is a territorial first and notably seen not too far from Alaska, which has no records of thick-billed longspur 
as of yet. Those are the rarities for the week, but for the full accounting, check out the ABA Rare Bird Alert on Fridays at aba.org slash RBA. You can also follow along with all the Rare Bird news, including speculation about all the odd birds that I've reported on this week, in the ABA Rare Bird Alert group on Facebook. If you mention Panama to a bunch of birders, one place comes to mind always beautiful canopy tower, a former radar station and military installation west of Panama City that has over the last couple of decades been transformed into one of the most well-regarded eco-lodges in the Americas. And when you talk about canopy tower, you cannot help but talk about my guest today, the prince of Panamanian birding himself, <laughs> the count of the canal zone, <laughs> Carlos Betancourt. How are you, Carlos? Hey, thank you, Nick. I'm I'm doing I'm doing well, really good, very happy. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this. Yeah, interview. absolutely. Love to talk to you. Um, happy to happy to talk. You know, we we see you at all the festivals, so it's all. But it's always so busy there. It's nice to kind of sit down and and chat about birding one on one a little bit. I know, I know. You know. Festivals are great. You know, it's wonderful. But we always doing something. We're always busy with with people yeah. talking to new people. And yeah, so I'm 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 really happy that we're here talking about uh, Panama. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, there, there are a lot of directions we can go here, uh, but your personal story and the story of Canopy Tower is a really cool one. So, where did your interest in birds come from? Okay, my interest in birds came when I was uh, very young. Mm-hmm. I was about uh, nine years old when I started getting interested into birds, but I have no idea that birding was a hobby. <laughs> I have no idea that there were people like me in the world that, that love birds. I just thought that I had a weird hobby. You know, ch- <laughs> you know, like chasing birds. I have no binoculars. So what I did, I used to, you know, climb on trees, trying to find bird nests, and then uh, trying to see what the chicks look like, what the parents look like, and, and different type of nests. I found like cavity nests, um, some, uh, you know, like uh, the blue-gray canadiers that made this cotton beautiful uh, nest out of cotton. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so I started on a parakeet's little nest and a termite nest. So I started... I started, I started fascinating by uh, uh, looking at bird, uh, bird nesting So um, when I was very young. Yeah. So what kind of birds did you see around where you grew up? What, was the, what were the common species? Obviously, blue-gray, blue-gray tanager, yeah, well, but that's like blue- the common bird everywhere. In exactly. The exactly. Sure. So, so, so growing up, you know, I uh, remember seeing like chachalacas, you know, yeah. around. And to me, those birds were like huge. You know, when I was a little kid, I said, oh, my God, those birds are huge. Uh, you know, uh, I started looking at moth moths. Uh, uh, I grew up, you know, uh, seeing like Rufus moth moth around my grandma's farm. Trogons, like slaty tail trogons, quite common. Uh, clay-colored trush and the orioles. And then the, you know, what we call the iroles or the uh, the hawk migration. Oh, yeah. That yeah. was, you know, that was the time of the year that I remember as a kid that I was like, Oh my God, they're coming back, you know, like, but I, I didn't know. I mean, I thought they were like some, you know, hiding in Panama somewhere and yeah, it was time right. for them to, that they were flying over and like, wow, all those raptors, you know, around here. That was really great. But I have no idea that we had a, a bird of Panama book then. So I find that later in college when I went to uh-huh. Oregon. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, it was, it was just fascinating to, to explore the birds without knowing their, English name or the other or the names, I just knew the common names that my grandma will tell me. So yeah. So what is the general sort of Panamanian view towards the birds around them? I imagine something like the hawk migration. You know, Panama is famous for broadwing hawks, Mississippi kites moving through the isthmus. Like, 
I imagine that's impossible for regular people to miss, even if they're not interested in birds. It's a big deal. It, yeah. it, it's a big, it's a big deal. No, no, like you say, no, not just uh, birders or people in the birding community, but pe- regular people. I have friends uh, or people who posted on, on social media, like, wow, there's a lot of birds flying through right now. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I was like, you know, and then, you know, that's, that's when you have the opportunity to jump in yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and tell them about what is going on. You know, it, it happened to me on a flight to, I was going to the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival from Panama and you know that day at the airport uh, you know the pilots say I'm sorry we're going to be delayed because there are birds in the neighborhood <laughs> and what does that neighbor. mean yeah right people are thinking thrushes and house yeah, sparrows yeah, yeah. and pigeons so, so, so everybody was like what you know birds in the neighborhood so I got myself when I start you know texting my friend uh, the Panama Audubon that they were they were doing the hawk migration count and mm. Cerro Ancon so that's closer to the city so I start asking them, uh, are, we, are we having a good migration today? They say, Carlos, it's a huge one. It's a huge <laughs> migration going on. I say, okay, perfect. Okay, thank you. So I call the flight attendant and say, sorry, um, I just want to make, you know, let you know what is going on. There is a thousands of raptors that migrate from Canada and North America all the way down to South America. So this is time of the year when they do that. So that's why there is a lot of birds, not in the neighborhood, they're migrating too. So she's like, uh, excuse me, do you mind uh, take, you know, picking up the mic uh, back there <laughs> and talk to people about the hot migration? So I did that. It was, it was wonderful. So I went back yeah. there and I started talking to them about the whole hot migration in Panama. And everybody was, after that, everybody was like, oh, cool. That's really cool. So nobody was like stressed out or anything. So everybody understood what is going on. And it's a natural phenomenon. And then Panama is one of the best places to see hot migration in yeah. October and November. For sure. You know, it must have been weird to not realize that there was like a field guide or that Panamanian birding was like a really big thing until you went to college in the United States. I know. <laughs> what was that I like? Know. Well, you know, I, uh, one of my first classes, in, I, I studied natural resources management in, in mm-hmm. Oregon and Mount Community College. And, you know, one of my first classes was ornithology, which, you know, which I, I, I say, wow, this is great. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. This, is, this is, you know, this is like, I can't believe I'm doing this, you know. But the best thing, I, I knew ornithology, of course, you know, because I studied science in high school. So I knew ornithology, study bird. I, I, I knew that, so it's good, and it's, this is cool. But the best part of the class, when we, when we did the introduction, um, uh, my professor, uh, he said, okay, this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be doing uh, 50% of the class is going to be in the classroom. 50% of the class is going to be outdoors. We're going to go and and see birds. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I, I, I'm understanding this correctly. Um, because, you know, I, I, when I came to the United States, I didn't know much English. Uh-huh. Very limited. So I started learning English in college, actually. So, so I'm like, do I understand this correctly? Are we going to go bird watching? He's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Wow, this is, this is wonderful. Because, you know, I, you know, I always talk about ornithology study birds and study all the parts and everything of the birds and you right. know um so i thought we were going to be doing mostly that but when he said no we're going to go out birding and so we did that and I, I was like in heaven and that's when we started talking about birds and i started talking to my professor how much i love bird and i didn't know that bird washing was actually a hobby mm-hmm. he's like yeah carlos this is my hobby and i wow 
I did this when I was a kid without knowing. This is my hobby too, but you know, <laughs> it was something that people would do. So, you know, doing that in the classroom and I, using binoculars for the first time, mm-hmm. you know, it was at the, the school binoculars. And I used to, I was like, wow, I wish I had those when I was a kid. It was, <laughs> yeah. it was just. I think we've all had that uh, sort of experience. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, it was like, you know, it was like, God, I, I know. So I started actually, I would say, start uh, bird watching or, or, or birding in the U.S. officially, you know, knowing that it was a hobby. You know, I, I you know, I, I, I like birds since I was nine years old, mm-hmm. but I will say that officially I did it when I was in the, in the U.S. because I didn't keep any, any record before right. that, you know, right. just knew all these, you know, species. And I used to go birding every single summer or every time I had a chance around my grandma's farm, but without binoculars. So it was hard to see, oh, this is the same bird or this is a different bird. Right. Unless I, unless I found a nest. Mm-hmm. So, so being in Oregon, when I got the binoculars, and my professor told me, by the way, Carlos, here's the bird of Panama book. He's out of the library. So you, and I said, what? Why? <laughs> oh, and it's a richly, you know, it's a really, really yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a great book. And I started just looking through those. And I just pointed out, I've seen this. I've seen this one. I, I said this one, but okay. Oh, flycatcher. Okay. This is the one. <laughs> yeah, really. Maybe, no, maybe this one. Oh, no. Wait, wait, wait a minute. We look more like, oh, oh my God, I have to go back to Panama. I need to use this book in Panama. I need yeah. to go back. <laughs> it, was like, yeah. it, was, it was so excited to see that and to share with my professor the bird of Panama. In fact, my cl- the class, when you know, the end of the class, we had the, it was birding 101, ornithology class. At the end of the, uh, of the class, we had to study bird calls mm-hmm. uh, as, part of the, as part of the class. So what he did, he found some uh, uh, tapes from fan tapes. We're talking about tapes then. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no, from, uh, <laughs> I'm old enough to remember tapes. <laughs> so, so he got the tapes from uh, uh, from uh, a collection of birth of Panama or something, or, or and then he started. You know, he gave me those so I could learn, and I was it was amazing because it was really great because I remembered the sound of the bird, but mm-hmm. I didn't know the English name. So I was like, right, it was right. it, you know, it, I got that this new. Things, you know, it was an old thing that I used to do, but it was coming like, oh, I got to start again. It's coming back. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was wonderful. When did your journey sort of intersect with Canopy Tower and what they were trying to do? Okay. So when I, when I came back to Panama, you know, I started looking for a job. So Mm -hmm. I never thought about guiding. Never, ever, ever thought about guiding. And I like birds. It's my hobby, which, you know, just great. I, I knew I wanted to come back to Panama. Mm-hmm. And, and do birding, you know, with the bird of binoculars. And, and, and now that I knew there was a bird of Panama book. Um, so I started looking for, um, I was thinking I was going to go back to university to study biology mm-hmm. or, or, you know, to continue with, uh, you know, uh, uh, my career. And then also I thought about working as a part ranger and yeah. then helping, helping people with research, you know, projects, you know, I knew this. Sonia was big in Panama. And then I said, well, maybe I can, I can work with them and help in the, in the research, uh, research project. Um, so I was looking for a job after two months, uh, of being in Panama. So I did many different things, you know, from helping to clean trails and, and then got some little seminars about ecotourism. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I got a call from a friend and they say, Hey, Carlos, uh, there's this place called the Canopy Tower and they need uh, a person uh, to do a hawk migration count for 30 days, uh, you know, counting raptors. I'm like, yeah. what? 
like county birds are they gonna yeah they're gonna pay for that <laughs> pay for that well, wait 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 <laughs> pay to to go and see and yeah you know are you do you have any experience uh, doing any monitoring I think that I, I do I did some monitoring uh, in college uh, I did uh, in the ponds you know studying the docks and everything in Oregon. So I did that monitoring, but no raptors. But hey, I, I'm, I'm, I'll Bird's do it. Birds are bird. I can count them all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll do it. So that day I had a meeting with uh, with Raul. I went to the office, the Canopy family office, and then uh, I had a meeting with Raul, the owner. And he's like, uh, well, uh, you know, this is uh, a job for 30 days that we do. You know, we try to do this every year where we do count raptors. Uh, we have a... Uh, a protocol that we need to follow and blah blah blah. So and yeah, I, 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 I'm in. So so he took me up to the place. When he took me up to the canopy tower, I remember from Panama City. I was like, wow, amazed just by looking at you know going up Semaphore Hill Road, and then you see this structure. But it wasn't just the structure, but there were raptors already flying through. Yeah. So I was like, oh my god. So I went up to the top of the observation deck. And I was like, wow, I'm, you know, admiring the whole area and seeing just, just raptors migrating. And then, uh, I asked Raul, like, yeah, Raul's like, well, do you like the place? I say, I love this place. <laughs> he's like, well, um, he said, well, uh, the job is yours. So, and I asked, when do I start? He's like, now. And I know, I cannot, I cannot <laughs> start right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I cannot start right now because I have to go home, get some clothes, get, some, uh, get, get my, uh, my, uh, clothes and, and come back here so he's like yeah okay tomorrow we'll hopefully you come here and then uh, i work with the biologist she was there also um doing the hot migration count mm-hmm. uh for that lasted for about 15 days i think when raul asked me like carlos do you know any guys and i say not not really because um, i need you know we need a guide here to to take people out you know bird watching and seeing nature and everything and i thought wow that sounds that sounds really cool and then, and then he's like, yeah, what do you have to do? He said, oh, well, he's like, well, you just have to make sure you show people, you know, uh, birds and mammals and plants and just make sure they had a good time. That's, you know, make sure they have, they, they, you know, they have a good time. And, and I'm like, wow, that sounds really good. Uh, but I, sorry, I don't know anybody. He's like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's like, will you like to, 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 uh, to be a guy? I'm like, me? I said, I'm not a guy, but I, you know, I can, I can give it a try. So I started going out, you know, uh, with uh, people that were coming to the canopy tower. Mm-hmm. And then at the beginning, it was just mainly a couple or two or three people. The main groups of the main companies, you know, used to bring, you know, uh, their leaders and everything like field guys, mm-hmm. Victor Mattel. Right. Or, yeah. They bring their own you know, people. Wings. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So with the guys, which it was a, a great experience for me to, to learn from, from all of them. Uh, but at the beginning, it was just me taking people out into the trails, Pipeline Road, Semaphore Hill, Plantation Trail, all these nice trails uh, nearby the Canopy Tower. And it was, it was, it was really fun to, you know, to show people birds and to see them coming back happy, you know, excited. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait a minute. I wait. We do something really cool here. We make people happy. Mm-hmm. Just by showing them nature, by by show, showing them birds, so I really got into it, and especially when I met all these international guys, you know, yeah. uh, you know, with uh, with the big companies, and I started going out with them, 
And these people, I said, my God, these people are gods. You know, how do they know? How do they know that was a black hole giggle? It's way, I, and then I have a, a really bad pair of binoculars, you know, one of the really crappy ones. And, and, and I used to, you know, they were like, oh, black hole giggle flying. And, oh, Rufus Motma just flew across. Oh, you know, I was like, what? How do they know that? You know, how do they know that's a black hole? So, you know, so I really started learning and pay attention to, the way they were working and, and you know, mm-hmm. being at the Canopy Tower, you know, I had the opportunity to to work with all these amazing people. So I was like, wow, wow, I'm 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 really blessed to be here. So I started to to learn more and more. I still I started going out on my own every single day. Uh and I live I think at the Canopy Tower for four years. You know, mm-hmm. I live there actually. And I would go home on the weekends but I would stay basically during the week there. So it was it was a great opportunity for me to learn again uh, mm-hmm. birds that I that as a kid I grew up watching right. but I didn't yeah. know their you know their their uh, English name and and their behavior so I started learning yeah. more of their behavior so really really cool yeah so did you have sort of a as you as you became sort of established at Canopy at Canopy Tower did you sort of have an idea of what an ecolodge could be and what it should be and were you able to sort of you know, work your own sort of vision into what they were doing there? No, not really, you know. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I took ecology class, you know, mm-hmm. in college, so my major. So we kind of concentrate more on the aspect of, of, of natural resources in general, but never to ecotourism. So I have mm-hmm. no idea what ecotourism was. Yeah. So I learned that a lot from Raul Arias. Yeah. You know, Raul started teaching us about ecotourism, you know, the best way to manage things, how we can you know, have less impact, you know, with the uh, uh, natural world. Mm-hmm. So, so I started learning that with, with him actually at the, at the canopy tower. And then, um, and then with that, you know, new ideas came out, you know, yeah. and uh, one of the best thing is that, you know, that, you know, it was just Raul and I actually working then. And it was great to share those idea into what we become now today, the canopy mm-hmm. family. You know, so I feel like, you know, I, I feel like I was there from since the beginning. Yeah. Uh, even though I got there a year later, you know, I'm, since the canopy tower opened. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you've done a ton of work, um, sort of, you know, training up guides, not just in Panama, but also, you know, kind of throughout Latin America and kind of establishing, you know, a standard of skill and professionalism. Um, is it really gratifying for you to see those people kind of, you know, come to Canopy Tower and learn the ropes and then kind of take it to their own homes and sort of, you know, not only build an eco-tourism industry, but sort of like an environmental ethic all across Latin America. It is a, a rewarding. It, yeah. it is. It, it feels, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel happy. It makes you feel excited. Mm-hmm. When you can talk to people about birding, about ecotourism, and especially when you see those people actually doing it, yeah, you know, and doing it in a good way, and and is is you know is is one of the beautiful things of my job. Mm-hmm. It's one of the one of the great things of my job is is to teach others about nature and to see them uh, uh, move forward too mm-hmm. um, into into the uh, uh, bird watching or nature uh, field. Um, you know, like we have many of our guys actually at the canopy tower, the canopy lodge. Um, and the canopy camp. Uh, some of them started as drivers. Some of them started mm-hmm. as as as, um, 
as waiters, you know, just yeah. working in the in, in the kitchen. And they, you know, they show the interest for, for, for birds. And, and then you give them that opportunity and say, yeah, you like birds? Yes, let's, you know, let's, you know, let's uh, teach you some of the birding that we have here. Um, you see that interest and you see them now what they have become. It makes you feel very, very happy because that was part of my, my goal with my scholarship. You know, I got a scholarship to study in the United States, mm-hmm. as I mentioned that earlier. But part of that scholarship that teaches you that you have to multiply what you have learned here. So I feel that my goal is still going. Still, mm-hmm. still, I'm still working on that. But I feel that what I have learned in the United States in college, I have been able to uh, to help others. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, thanks to that scholarship. Um, so it's it, you know it, it is it is uh, rewarding, like I say, you know, to to be able to do this and to teach others about nature and birds. Yeah. What do you think makes a really good bird guide what are some of the skills that a a really good bird guide has to have okay a bird guide one of the first thing that i start with Mm -hmm. to be to be a bird guide a guide the number one rule you must like people (laughs) yeah that's that's the number one rule yeah i mean you, you 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 know we love these we love birds but if you want to become a guide you really have to like people we have to deal with different personalities you know, I would say like most of them, I would say 99% of the birders are really great, really nice people. There's, you know, there's uh, that 1% that I always call that when you call the you, that you have to work. You know, You're lucky if you, it's only 1%. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. that, that's what you have to work. That's, that's on my case. That's, that's how, that's how I, I see it. And then that's when you're working, actually. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the time you're enjoying the job, having fun with people and, 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 and enjoy nature in general. But, you know, that's one of the number one things. You, if you like people, it's, 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 you know, and then, and then, of course, birding, you, you know, you have to love nature. Uh, uh, and then, and then I would be willing to learn. Uh, also, yeah. uh, I'll also tell the guys that it's okay to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And when you make a mistake, you have to correct. You have to, you know, say, sorry, you know, I, I didn't call this correctly. And that happened. It happened to me. You know, and, uh, you know, all the time. Sorry, okay, sorry, sorry, guys. Let's, let's, it's not, it's not what I told you. It's, it is, it is, it is this now. So you know, it's, it's okay. You know, we're human, and it's okay to, to make those mistakes. But you know, to that's one of the things. Other things to, as a, as a bird guide is, you know, the respect. You have to respect nature too, as well. You know, when you go out, you have to be an example for others when you are on the field. You know, do things you know correctly. Now teach the clients you know how to uh, behave actually mm-hmm. in the trail when yeah. we're birding. So we actually educate people <laughs> all at the same time when we are in the in the field. But the number one rule I would say: you must like people. You must love people to be a bird guy. Yeah, and everything else comes from that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So, what is your what is your favorite thing about working with visiting birders? Uh, is showing them new birds. So yeah. then, you know, uh, lifers, uh, and just having a good time, you know, just, uh, uh, make sure that they, that they will go home happy, mm-hmm. you know, saying that, wow, this is the best vacation ever I had, or, or, or you know, or, you know, this is, it, it is, um, uh, excited when you see those people smiling, happy, you know, enjoying the, the, the tour, enjoy nature, and, and, 
to me, just to see them leave happy, you know, and wanted to come back, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's really, uh, really, uh, a good thing that, you know, that makes me feel happy. Yeah. So w- what is the, what is the coolest thing you've ever seen at Canopy Tower? Doesn't have to be a bird. Can be anything. Yeah. Okay. The coolest thing that I've seen at the Canopy Tower, I will say, um, yeah, I won't call it a bird because it's going to be, all the birds are cool to me. But it's, <laughs> Hard I, to I will one. say, yeah, exactly. So I will say, uh, I've seen it a couple of times. Is uh, uh, a great grison. It's oh, the weasel, yeah, yeah. The weird it's in the, uh, weasel yeah, thingy. <laughs> yeah, it's in the weasel family. Yeah. I've seen it a couple of times, and that's a really, a really cool to see uh, that mammal. Uh, uh, I've seen it a couple of times in Semaphore Hill Road, uh, chasing agoutis. Uh, uh, it's a rare one, but it's, I will say that it's a really cool mammal. Yeah, that's a funky looking. It's like a the neotropic version of a honey badger. They look yeah. like a honey badger with like exactly. gr- black on the bottom and white on the top. Mammals are so hard to see. Yeah. I imagine anytime you get a chance to see something like that, um, yeah. it's got to be pretty exciting. <laughs> if it exactly. excites you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. You know, we'll see. You know, like I say, in nature, we look at everything. You know, birds, yeah. mammals, plants. You know, it's just, it's just everything is just uh, tied together. Yeah. Have you seen um, over your years working? Uh, at Canopy Tower and just in Panama in general, you know, a growing recreational birding community. Obviously, when we think of neotropics, we think of sort of the guiding community just because there's such a place for that because so many people want to go down there and, and yeah. see the birds. But is there a growing recreational birders, like people who are just like you were when you first came, just interested yeah. in birding just to be interested in birding? Yeah. Uh, yes. You know, especially in the last few years, I would yeah. say... Uh, uh, even believe it before the pandemic, mm-hmm. I have seen this uh, community of young people yeah. uh, uh, going out birding, you know, uh, sitting on the trails. Um, and, and that's beautiful to see that. And, and now because of the technology. Yeah. The technology yeah, is, that's is amazing, you know. And, you know, when you can have, you know, the whole book in an app, uh, uh, you know, in, 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 a, in your cell phone and just going out and, and, and see uh, a bird. So I've seen that community growing and growing of a more uh, young generation, and not just young generation, but all the people that they didn't um, know about bird watching. Now is really great to uh, to see that here in Panama. It is quite common now to see groups, a little bird clubs or groups uh, really? in Panama. We have a group of women called the Euphonias here in Panama, <laughs> and they do some great reports of bird. Uh, you yeah. know, uh, the, uh, and then the, you know Panama Audubon which also has been doing a great job. But I, I see that more and more now. Uh, I met a kid the other day. I was in the, one of the islands looking for the white range uh, ant wren last weekend. Um, and then I, on the last day, uh, you know, this uh, uh, 18 years old, I think, uh, came to me and uh, said, hi, you know, how are you? He looks like he, like, like he knows me, but I, you know, I don't know that I never seen this guy before. And uh, and then he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a bird watcher, and I'm like, wow, yeah, really. Yeah, I said, yeah. And I met you on Pikeman Road when I was a little. I'm like, what? <laughs> he's like, yeah. He's like, yeah. I was, you know, I was, and I was there, and we and we talk about birds, and we talk about all these things, and it was really excited to see that that little kid. I spent time, I, and I, he, he, you know, he came back to me because he was yeah. with a second, yeah, yeah. with a second boy, and I said there were two boys there, blonde, and he's like. Is that you? He said, yeah. He said, I can't believe that, you know. So we, we you know, we started talking about birds 
And now he's, you know, he's a bird watcher. He's, you know, he's officially got, I got, said, Carlos, I got my e-bird lease. I got yeah. all this going and I need to see this bird. I need to see all this bird. So, you know, it's really excited to see that. And then, you know, I spent probably about 30 minutes talking with those kids. I was on Pipeline Road, you know, one of those days that you, uh, let me go to Pipeline Road today and just go burning on my own and see mm-hmm. what I can see. And I spent time with those kids and uh, just talking to them about birds and show a few things on the telescope, I think. I did that and they, I mean, they're ready, they were already dressing in birds, but they, they, you know, this guy pushes to the ne- next level. Mm-hmm. And to see that is exciting, you know? Yeah. To see that, you know, it's, 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 it's cool. Yeah. Are there, are there parts of Panama that in the past were difficult to get to or there wasn't a ton of local knowledge about birding there that has really opened up in the last few years? Like you've learned a lot more, your, the access has improved or, and you're, you know, finding birds that you wouldn't necessarily have expected in Panama. Yeah, there are definitely, definitely uh, many, many areas that are more accessible now mm-hmm. uh, because of roads. Um, just to mention, what did Darien? You know, the, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. the Darien uh, uh, jungle. I, you know, I have been birding for many uh, years in Panama, but I've been basically concentrated like central Panama all the way to the west. Mm-hmm. So Eastern Panama was kind of like, mm, I don't know if I want to go there because there was no really good access uh, by road. And there used to be a place uh, in the mountains that you had to go by airplane. And mm-hmm. finally, eight years ago, you know, when the uh, when we started exploring the Darien forest, you know, to build the canopy camp, it opened up a whole new world for us, mm-hmm. you know, with harpy eagle. Uh, right now, we currently have a crested eagle. Uh, that we're monitoring right now, about 30 minutes from the canopy camp. Um, wow. And, you know, it, it just opened up all the whole uh, different uh, uh, community of, of the indigenous people, the Embera mm-hmm. Indians, you know, uh, having all those people uh, working with bir- birding, uh, building trails, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's really, really amazing. So Darien is being one of those places that, yeah, many people have heard about it. And, and, you know, probably people heard about Canada, uh, flying into Canada and, and burning that area. But now we have this access to that in burning, you know, lowland burning in, in, in that in with black or pendula, you know, uh, the, uh, dusky back jacamar, all these specialties that are very restricted range between Panama and Colombia that, you know, have been, in, have been enjoying it for the last eight years. But working with the local people is probably one of the best things, actually that I have enjoyed um, in Udarien. Huh. That's interesting. I, I, I talked to um, Diego Calderon in Colombia, yeah. and he talks about the Darien as well, but from the other side. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, they're starting to get in on the other side too and see some of those some of those birds. It's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I talked to Diego the other day when he, he texted me like, I got a, I got some of the Panamanian birds on the I other know, side. I know, he's trying to, always I, trying I, to take I, away I, your index. Yeah. <laughs> and I say, okay, Diego, remember, uh, we, in Panama we have 1,015 birds in Colombia, you know, how oh, many. So remember, Diego, there might be some birds in Takarcuna that are from <laughs> Colombia only that we might get. <laughs> That's so, right. You're going to get them. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Carlos Betancourt, uh, what a delight to talk to you. Uh, the ABA is doing a tour. I, I feel like I should push that a little bit. Uh, down to Panama in, um, in September. I'm going to be there. Carlos is going to be there. It's going to be a great time. Come and, come and bird with us. Um, Carlos, great to talk to you. Thanks so much for telling your story. And uh, man, I can't wait to get down to uh, 
down to Panama this fall. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And hey, I'll see you back in Panama. You know, we are gonna have a good time. We're gonna I hope have, so. have a great time. Know it. See some it. good birds. It's gonna be fun. It's yeah. gonna be fun. So I'm looking forward to take you out here in my backyard. Yeah, man. All right. <laughs> The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast, you can support it by supporting the ABA with your membership. There are many benefits like magazines, discounts to partners, opportunities to travel with us, get information at aba.org slash join. I should also note that we're still in the middle of our ABA nesting season appeal. So if you want to make a donation to the American Birding Association, because you enjoy this podcast, we certainly appreciate you doing so. You can get information about that at aba.org slash gift. Special shout outs this week to Arnie Berger of Powell, Ohio, John Erickson of Burlington, Wisconsin, Dennis Parker of A Bear Tohilas, San Diego, California, and Justin Reed of Kewanee, Illinois, all of whom recently joined the ABA, noted this podcast as a reason for doing so. Thank you so much. I, I cannot get over how much I appreciate people doing this and enjoying what we're doing here. Uh, executive director of the ABA and executive producer of the podcast is Nikki Belmonte, who would point out that bird flu... It's also an acceptable answer for why the staked out vagrant is no longer in view. Technical production is by John Lowry, who wonders why those little plastic bird-shaped whistles that you fill with water and blow into aren't called bird flutes. Additional help comes from David Hartley and Greg Neese, who choose to refer to the song Birding by Sweatshop Boys as Bird Flow. You can find us online at aba.org and on social media most everywhere at American Birding Association. We are, however, at ABA on Twitter. Lots of chimney swifts around these days, twittering, my neighborhood and it occurs to me you could refer to them as patient zero because they are the original flu bird questions comments can come to podcast at aba.org i'm nate swick thanks for listening stay healthy till next week